Lost Dog Street Band is a dark folk trio. The group has been recording and touring for years now and have a number of releases under their belt. They have a stripped back acoustic vibe that was honed in by years of busking and street performance. Benjamin Todd, the main songwriter and singer, draws inspiration from old time murder ballads, a genre that's often overlooked in American roots music tradition. Their album is introspective, sparse, and sometimes dark, and it's both haunting and beautiful. I had a chance to chat with Ben about the album. I hope you dig it. Cool. Well, I was wondering if you could start off telling us a little bit about the recording of the new album. It has a, um, a, a very live-to-tape kind of uh, feel to it, if that makes sense. And uh, just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the, the recording process. Well, um, basically, every album that I've done for the past eight years has been uh, at Anticorp headquarters or Black Matter Mastering headquarters with Dan Emery, my good friend and manager and runs my distribution and does does a little bit of everything helps me psychologically um and we sit uh in in one room you know less than 10 feet from each other and uh it's it's very 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 simple people would probably be shocked if they you know saw the the basic structure of how how we do things um there's there's nothing really too fancy about it in general um i typically record guitar tracks first um without a metronome or anything which becomes an issue i've i've never gotten uh, comfortable with it as of right now so you know there there have certainly been some timing issues that we've had to work out in the past but uh but yeah, typically I lay guitar track and then vocal and then bring in uh, a bass player and then actually lay stuff down and then we kind of chisel it away, make it better and better. Yeah, I, I like the, um, the the process. It, it sounds um, it sounds very honest and it sounds like like you guys sound. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never been in a in a big fancy studio in my life. Um, a lot of people's first records are probably in a in a more complicated setting than than my current records within uh within my contemporaries cool well all three of the people in the band have a history of busking and um i was just i find that to be such a a fascinating thing and i was just interested in in um how you got into playing music in that fashion and how you guys all came together and all that well i was born and raised in sumner county tennessee about 30 miles from nashville Around the age of 13, I more or less was uh, a ruffian, hooligan, punk rocker, um, kind of wandering the streets uh, of Nashville in my youth. Um, and I started busking on Lower Broadway about the age of 14. And uh, I was mentored by a man named Mandolin Mike, who busked on the streets of Nashville for 16 years. I think now he's been gone for about five years. Um, busking is relatively dead in the entire country. I think there's, you know, there, there's strongholds like uh, New Orleans and Seattle that have that really ingrained in their culture. Um, I, I would say Seattle's culture has always been bad, 
but it's always been there, um, instituted by the local government to be there, more or less. And in New Orleans, you know, it's just that, that it, it's New Orleans. It's its own universe. So I don't think it will ever be completely gone from there. Um, but generally, it's dead. I don't know how I got got on that spiel. Yeah. What do you mean by it's um it, it, it's bad up in Seattle? You mean like it's it's kind of dying away, or what do you mean? By um, that? I you know as a busker, I have bussed pretty much every single metropolitan and smaller market area in the country, um, and I I just never I never liked Seattle system. Basically, they have an hour turnover system where you. You write your name on a on a tag, which this is. These are kind of rules enforced by, I don't know, city city planners, whatever. Um, and there are particular spots that you can only play at. They have uh, music notes on the ground in Pike Place Market, and um, you have to rotate an hour. Which, if you're an actual busker, doesn't make any sense because it essentially takes you ten minutes to set up, ten minutes to tear down. Um, I could never get a feel for it. So I always, but, but, but that's kind of like the Mecca in the Pacific Northwest of, of busking culture, um, in general, but yeah, um, you know, from the age of 14 busking in Nashville, I ended up, uh, you know, running away, I don't know, starting at 13 on, but at, at 17, finally, finally pretty much left for good, started hopping trains and uh, that was, you know, my means of of supporting myself at that time. So it was it was pretty crucial. I, I never had too much of a stomach for panhandling. I, you know, flew signs and panhandled probably enough times I can count on both hands the entire time I was a vagrant. So I always preferred to to, to give something in return. Yeah, play some music or something for it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, I I really like the song uh, "Fighting Like Hell to Be Free." I think that was a really cool message, and uh, I was wondering if you could talk about that song just a little bit. I can't really remember exactly when or how that song came to be. Um, That would be one in particular that would more or less barely fall under the, uh, under the standard that I set for myself for albums and writing. Um, for, For me, that's, that that tune is more or less on the verge of being solo material. Um, it's a good song, but also my standards compared to, you know, virtually any other artist uh, or contemporary of mine are are different. You know, um, in my opinion, I think that you know that song would be you know a single on someone else's record. To me, it's you know the bottom of the barrel. And why is that? Um, I don't think that it carries the the standard of genius that that I hold myself to. 
Um, I think there are some great lines in that song. Also, the feel of it. It's a little less gritty. It's a little, it's a little, you know, like up tempo, a little bit. It, it it turns around in a uh, in a more positive way, which is pretty unusual for me. But I, but I believe in that song, you know. Um, you know, I've 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 lived that song. It's kind of kind of you know after. Well, I don't know if you know personally, but after a long long bender, you know, waking up on a Sunday morning or something and drying out, and. Um, having just that little bit of strength in you that, that you need to change and that you, you, you have to alter your reality and take personal responsibility for your actions and, and become the person that you actually want to be, not the person that circumstances just accidentally led you to be. It's important in that fashion. Yeah. I've never dealt with that personally. Um, but my dad was an alcoholic. He passed away at a pretty young age. Uh, he was 44 when he died. I was 13. And, um, uh, so I, uh, I, I connect to it on, on that kind of level and a couple other songs on the album as well on, um, you know, someone who's affected by a person struggling with addiction issues and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I I appreciate the message in it. So if that's the one that's kind of like on the bottom of the heap for you, what, what are, what's a, a song or two that you really like off the album? Hmm. Probably end with you is my favorite track production wise. And, you know, I mean, lyrically it means a lot to, to me personally. Life is not forever and love ain't yours alone. I left you so many times for shame I couldn't own. It's hard to admit, but usually I am wrong. But I'm too old now for getting gone. Actually, I end up, I think I wrote that like, I think I, I end up writing a lot in metaphysical circles. Um, somehow I tend to something inside of me knows what's about to happen uh in in a lot of given situations i think i wrote that song two weeks before the covid lockdown um so it holds it also holds like a special personal place in that regard of you know learning to try to trust my intuition um about things you know, the first line being, uh, in the, in the wake of all that's coming, it's so good to hold you dear. Um, you know, writing that two weeks before, you know, COVID lockdown and probably the most stressful, probably the most stressful time in our society besides, uh, well, going back to probably world war two. I mean, so I, I, I think in a way everyone can, everyone in our society and probably around the world could resonate with, with that song within that context. Um, you know, the feeling that the, the world is kind of collapsing around you, but you have, you have something good and, and that's a really amazing thing to take comfort in. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are most of the songs that you write from a um, first person perspective? Do you kind of uh, write from your, your own angle most of the time? Um, I'd say that, I'd say that probably one in five songs are somewhat of a narrative. Um, like, 
let's see, uh, losing again off the album is, I guess, somewhat a narrative. I wrote that in uh, in a train yard in Laurel, Montana, just waiting under a bridge. Um, so you know, I, I was in Laurel, and there was a storm coming. You know, um, at, at the time, but. And I guess at that point in my life, I guess that song was true. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of something current off the album that would be more narrative-based. Um, you know, my previous albums, and in general, uh, writing within a narrative from, from another person's perspective, especially like historical narratives, um, like murder ballads, uh, setting them in like a distant time and specific place in, in American history, is a great exercise for me. Like when I get into a writer's block, a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of unconsciously think of like a narrative to write as just just an exercise as a writer. Uh, kind of like an author might keep a journal just to just to keep keep those uh, juices flowing, you know. Um, but I'd say the majority of what I write is absolutely very very personal and uh from direct experience right yeah well you know the song uh, a beautiful curse is is very haunting um uh, but I, I love the chorus on that one and um i'd love if you could tell us about that song god is sweet the bounty of his word desperately try to breathe and dig until it hurts And the silence weeps for which of us will leave with something worse. Oh, what it do. Oh, God. Um, that tune's actually written for someone. Um, it's a, a, a fellow contemporary artist of mine. Uh, was a good friend. I'm not going to name names specifically, but that song... That song's pretty dark, the actual story behind it. I mean, the song is dark in general, but um, the inspiration for that song was years ago, I went on a on a bender after a tour, and I'd been doing, done like an eight ball of cocaine and, you know, been, been up all night drinking. It was like five in the morning, and I ended up uh, uh, jumping on top of this guy and choking him. Um, and kind of like looking him in the eye deadpan and, you know, kind of like, uh, I dare you to shoot type of moment. Um, and so like the lyrics for that song and, and, and the silence weeps for which of us will leave with something worse. Oh, what a beautiful curse, but kind of more or less speaking about the hundreds of artists that I have known who have dedicated their lives to the craft of art and, uh, and the darkness that you have to take on as an identity to, to be an actual artist because, well, I think there's a, there's a separation between how we perceive artists today and how artists were in general and how, you know, I kind of grew up as an artist, um, I was, I was intentionally living art from the moment I woke up, you know, uh, in a drunken haze 
you know, stumbling out on the street, playing music all day, then copping dope and, and, you know, going under a bridge and playing music all night with a bunch of other crazy transients. Um, and obviously my circumstances, a very, very extreme one, but I feel like the concept of artists living in that art is something pretty foreign in our society today. And I feel like people are much more attracted to the symbolism of that, that, that desperation instead of actually attempting to live it. Like, like they like the symbols of it. They, they like to put on a cowboy hat. They like to, you know, take pictures of themselves drinking liquor, you know, at a, at a honky tonk, but they don't, they don't, you know, they've never lived that. It's just symbolism. Right. Well, I, I, kind of on that note too, the, um, on the other end of that is uh, Jalisco Bloom, which deals with the, the struggle, struggle to get, um, uh, and stay sober. And I really like the, 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 the honesty of songs like that. I think it's a, a helpful thing to people. I began to weep when I was just a Mother pled with me to abstain That temptress of the desert of God Yeah, I think I think that song kind of encapsulates the the double-edged sword of of addiction. Um, that you can absolutely hate something and worship it at the same time. Um, and I think that's a common psychology within most addiction that's not really talked about. Um, the misery of the addiction is attractive. You know, it was attractive to me for years, you know, to be in the worst state of my life, isolated by myself and, and push that limit as far as I could push the darkness as far as I could. Like, like no matter how dark it got, it was like, okay, can I get a step further with this? Like how, how, how deep can I get down this hole? Um, and you become addicted to that in itself, that kind of pathology. So I think, I think that song kind of, kind of encapsulates that hopefully yeah well i was uh doing some reading about you and and um it seems that you built your own place in kentucky and then um uh, last week i had those horrible horrible tornadoes i was wondering how you doing and how's the the, the people around you um uh, kind of recovering from all that um it, it has been an absolute an absolute mind um the initial recovery was i mean it, it looked like a war zone it was just a and I've, I've worked alongside and operated heavy equipment um, a lot. I understand the type of force that is necessary to uproot a tree. I understand the type of force that's necessary to break a tree in half. Um, and there would be trees, like fully in root, that were, you know, uh, three feet wide that were broken off 20 feet in the air. And so the, the type of resistance and force that it takes to do that is mind-blowing because it takes force the opposite way at the bottom, 
and it takes the same amount of uh, like more force above, like slightly above it. So like it, it, it's just mind blowing. But the, the initial recovery was very chaotic. Um, I didn't agree with every decision that, uh, that was made, but I, but I also respect that, um, no one really knew what to do. Not even, you know, not even the homeowners initially, you know, I mean, the day two, three afterward, I mean, people are standing around their lives thrown, you know, everywhere, you know, there, there were pictures found from here all the way, in, uh, by Cincinnati, you know, that people, you know, picked up and, and, and got back to people. Um, so it was, it was very chaotic. Um, right now, pretty much heavy track equipment has taken over, uh, the general responsibilities. It's kind of that phase of things. The initial phase was people getting whatever they could that was left, uh, secured and, and, and found. And now is kind of like the cleanup of there's just, there's thousands of tons of garbage, you know, uh, and debris everywhere and trees strewn and vehicles and chaos. Um, so what, what I've been doing to help is just doing fuel deliveries. Um, I have, you know, a lot of fuel tanks and, and pumps on my property. So I load them up on trucks and take them and fill up gas cans. Um, that's the only real way to contribute for me right now. Um, generally they, they, they've been having to turn away volunteers. They had so many. And now that the heavy equipment has come in, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of waiting on the next phase to be able to help for the most part, most people. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how many, how many, how big of an area was affected uh, by that. I, I live near Lake Tahoe and we've been dealing with the, the wildfires the last couple of years and we've lost multiple towns just completely burnt to the ground, you know, different situation than a tornado, but it's, it, it, and I, I kind of know what you mean by it's mind boggling in that you kind of look at it and go, how's this even possible? You know, it's just, it's bizarre. Yeah. And how, how is this ever going to be right? Like, is the other thing and and obviously you know the devastation from a fire is i guess it it's got to be worse in some ways um if if you you know if anyone cared to or needed to calibrate which one was worse or not but um i as far as the land area you know but yeah i know that area i, I we played uh Harrah's near lake tahoe Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 South Lake where, where Harris is, it was under threat. I don't know if you're following it on the news, but it was just about, it was a hair's breath from that whole town just being consumed by fire. And luckily the wind turned at the last moment and, and sent the fire to the South. Um, but, uh, I mean, it was like right to the edge of town and then it just randomly just turned the other direction, but it was crazy. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Crazy stuff. Well, I'm glad you're safe, and um, I, I appreciate that you're, you're um, helping out as much as you can. That's that's a good thing to do. All right, man. Well, um, the new album's coming out pretty soon, and uh, I was wondering if you could just tell us if people want to find out more about you online, connect on social media, and all that kind of stuff. What's what's the best place uh, for people to look for you guys? Um, Instagram, Facebook, 
Um, LostDogStreetBand.com is the place to, you know, get get all the general information and um, ticket links and things like that. Uh, BenjaminToddMusic.com is also a good place as well. All right. And are you guys, um, are you guys touring right now? No. No, we leave uh, first day of tours, January 13th. Right now, I'm just trying to uh, get psychologically ready after it's just, it's just, just so much chaos here. Um, getting getting back into into form to get on stage in front of hundreds of people is is a little scary right now. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I hope it works out. I hope uh, the new uh, shutdowns don't affect you guys too much, um, and I uh, hope you guys can keep playing shows and, and, and doing your thing out there. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for uh, for calling in. I appreciate it, and uh, I think the album sounds amazing, and you guys are doing a fantastic job, so I wish you the best of luck out there. Awesome. Thank you, Will. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Ben for chatting with me. Check them out online and on tour, and show them some support. And while you're at it, like and subscribe to my show. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It really does help to get the word out. Until next time, everybody, have a good one. I believe my love and things I cannot see that calm and care.